action. Welcome to Torn Stumps with me, photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Wedding, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We're going to continue our non-superhero comic book movie series as we move on to 2001's Ghost World. Joshua. Ghost World follows best friends Enid and Becca. They are kind of on the fringes of high school society. They have they've kind of got this coping mechanism where they sit on the sidelines and they just snark and bitch and kind of judge everybody around them. Um, But it's fine because they are graduating high school and they are excited about this beginning of life. They've been waiting for this for so long. As the summer begins, they start to drift apart. That's kind of what it's about, really, isn't it? It's it's these, these two friends drifting apart and finding themselves, I guess... But that's probably quite a generous description <laughs> because it's not—it's yes. nowhere near as clear cut as that. No, it, it it really isn't. Have you seen it before? Yeah, I saw it when it first came out. That kind of came out after that big cresting wave of teen films. We had Clueless. Like we had Clueless in 1995, and then that kind of continued on until 1999 with films like Ten Things I Hate About You and Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, She's all that. She's all that was in there 98, I think. Um, American Pie was 99 um, what was that film with Kirstie Alley where it was all about beauty pageants Drop Dead Gorgeous is that what you said yeah 99 I love that oh, film okay. so much so so good I always get confused between that and Miss Congeniality oh I can see it I can see why yeah I think Drop Dead Gorgeous is, is slightly harder edge it's not quite as polished as Miss Congeniality um, mm. but so Ghost World came out after that glut of um very sparkly upbeat peppy kind of teen films um american teen films and it kind of did the absolute opposite of everything that those teen films had done so if you were going into a thora birch scarlett johansson movie expecting it to be all um kind of rock music and knowing knowing humor i mean it still has knowing humor but it doesn't have that upbeat sense of sort of idealism that all those teen films had in the late 90s um so yeah for me it was a bit of a shock when i watched this as a at the time or now at well at the time and i kind of thought i didn't love it at the time and i was very interested to re-watch it as a so-called grown-up um hmm. because i always thought did i just miss something as as a sort of a 18 19 year old where i just didn't get the adult humor of it or i didn't i didn't gel with its very cynical view on life um but re-watching it this time i've pretty much felt the exact same way as i did it as a teenager i just wanted i wanted something from the film that it wasn't gonna give me have you read the book no i haven't have you i remember holding it in my hands in college (laughs) so i must have i must have read at least part of it and i remember not liking it you know i i don't know if i read the whole thing but i do remember i do remember reading part of it it's daniel close isn't it yeah close or clouds but i remember i'm sure i've seen the film i'm sure i have or at least part of it so i guess for all intents and purposes this is the first time i'm seeing it right again i found it 
insufferable. Oh, no. I had to watch it. I really struggled through the first hour. Then I switched off and thought, let me take a break. And then I'll come back and watch the remaining 40 minutes in two 20-minute segments. And I didn't. I just carried on watching Desperate Housewives. What what did you find so difficult to to swallow? Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my personal question. Um, <laughs> I found it 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 isn't it's almost about nothing. It's almost as if we're not engaged in what's going on. We're just casual observers who are just stood there watching the mundane nuances of these people's lives, and they're not that interesting. I didn't I didn't really connect with any of the characters. I just I just didn't. Thora Birch character, was it Edith? Edith. Uh, Enid. I, Enid. I found her oh, just a fucking dickhead. <laughs> She's she, I found her really difficult to engage with because she she spends there's very little arc for her character like she's basically exactly the same person for maybe an hour and 35 minutes and then the final 10 minutes of the film she starts to show emotion you know she starts to break down and cry and you kind of you kind of find yourself wondering why she is doing what she's doing um you know we should probably say what her character does, which is basically she is going around being very sarcastic and snipey about people. And with her friend Becca, played by uh, Scarlett Johansson, they are just kind of looking for opportunities to act out or looking for excitement in their town. So they follow a couple around their town because they think they might be Satanists purely based on how they look. Um, mm. And then the real story kicks off when... I think it's Enid discovers a an ad in the paper where a guy yeah is, like a personal ad yeah where a guy's trying to track down the blonde woman that he thought he had a moment with across a subway carriage or something, and she decides to phone up and pretend to be that woman, and it all goes a bit wrong because then they just sit and watch this guy turn up at the milkshake bar and have a really miserable time on his own and then leave. But they're just obnoxious and they're just... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's main, I mean, mainly it's Thora Birch character, Edith. Edith? Enid. What's her name? It's Enid. Enid. It? You know, she's just obnoxious and she's... I mean, why is she the way she is? Is it jealousy that her life is so fucking dull and miserable and that every, she perceives everyone else as having a form of happiness and therefore she has to bring them down a notch? Well, she says people are too, everyone's too stupid. Like when, when the, um, she goes into the comic book shop, which is hilariously called xenophobia, which is brilliant. (laughs) Um, She goes into the comic book shop and she's just dyed her hair bright green as a kind Mm. of a fuck you to her friend Becca, because Becca has said, we're going to try to get an apartment together. So we need to look as sort of posh and rich as possible. And so Enid immediately goes home and dyes her hair green. Um, and then when she goes to the comic book shop, Xenophobia, um, the guy who works there says that she looks like she's trying really hard to be a punk and she's just really lame. And she gets really... I'm a genuine 1977 punk. <laughs> yeah. And then she's just like, everyone's too stupid and storms out. Is that more of a commentary on the film itself? Is the, is the film, that's what I felt, the film is trying 
so desperately hard to be idiosyncratic for the sake of being idiosyncratic. It just wants to be different for the sake of wanting to be different. But what it actually does, because it's avoiding being all these things, it's it's avoiding being, you know, like clueless or heathers. It doesn't actually find an identity that is particularly enjoyable. So is that the yeah. fault of of the writer and the director who who took the book and uh, collaborated to make the film the 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 writer of the book actually co-wrote the film yeah yeah and he said that so he, is he he tried to just basically completely do the comic and then realized that wouldn't work and so he wrote a completely different yeah. story and then that didn't work so he kind of mashed them together into a, a, a kind of semi-original story but this but... is he far too close to to it to mm. to have any sort of distance i wonder if it's almost the same thing as what happened with Zack snyder in 300 where he he really stuck to the vision of that graphic novel and it but it worked because it was so cinematic whereas with ghost world i wonder if they stuck to the tone and the vibe of the graphic novel and for some people that isn't it doesn't fit with film vernacular. It doesn't fit the the style of film. So I think there are lots of people who love it. So people who love like Napoleon Dynamite, that very dry, mm. flat kind I've of. Never seen it. I, I've seen it and I kind of liked it, but it's almost it's almost toe curlingly awkward, and that's a little bit what this is like, where it's it's very much a version of reality, but it's so close to reality that it it's confusing. The thing with the thing, just going back, the thing with Zack Snyder and Three Hundred, Zack Snyder didn't write or draw how or have anything to do with the original comic book. He was an outsider looking in, whereas this Daniel Klaus or Close, he's an insider looking out, trying to look in to create a new thing based on the thing that he's inside of. <laughs> so, it's almost in. It, I mean, sometimes it's impossible to do that. You know, there are exceptions. Mario Puzo wrote the screenplay to The Godfather and he wrote the original book. Mm -hmm. And I think the film's actually way, way better than the book. Mm -hmm. Same with The Exorcist. Yeah. William Peter Blatty wrote the screenplay for The Exorcist. So he had a almost objective view of his own subjective work. Here, I just don't think it's... I just don't think it's worked. Mm. I really wanted to like the film more than I did because I I think that mm. it's it was quite it's quite gutsy and it's quite prescient and it it's like there's the bit where Ina's really pissed off and she's like oh they're all creeps and losers losers and weirdos and Becca says but those are our people so it's kind of trying to get into that world of the people on the sidelines who aren't that weird but they're not they don't fit in enough so they're just kind of trapped in this wasteland of not really fitting any, anywhere. Maybe that's why it's called Ghost World, because they're just kind of floating around, not really Oh, they're completely invisible lives. people. Yeah, exactly. They feel invisible. Yeah. So it's completely. a bit like Freaks and, that kind of Freaks and Geeks, the TV series, where the, that but kind of But they had charm people... and, and comedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the thing is, though, they, you know, they sit in that diner or they, they walk down the street and they notice people. So someone's going to be noticing them. Yeah, yeah. But they don't explore that. That that aspect doesn't get explored in the film. I think it when it moves away from their friendship and it moves into Enid's friendship with uh, Steve Buscemi, with who's Seymour. this kind of 
he's the weird guy who left the ad in the paper. Um, yeah. That's when the film lost me the first time and also kind of lost me this time as well because it wa- I wanted it to be about these two girls and their experiences together and I didn't really... Seymour's a really tragic figure and I think Steve Buscemi... Oh Beyond tragic. Yeah. He Steve plays Buscemi's tragic very sick. well. Yeah. But Steve Buscemi, apparently he hated... He hated the idea that he was Seymour. So at the end of every day, he would change out of his clothes and try to distance himself from that character so much because he just couldn't stand him. (laughs) And that comes across because it's a great performance, but it's almost just painfully awkward and sad. And it sucks the life out of the film for me. And it feels like that's, that's why you can tell this was written by a man because... If it had been written by a woman, perhaps it would have focused more on the female relationships rather than this middle-aged man who I don't have really any any feeling for any, you know, either way, really. Did you have feeling for any of them? There's, there's three central characters here, Seymour, mm. Enid and Rebecca. I did. I found them interesting. I found Enid interesting, but she was really annoying. Rebecca fades into annoying. the background. Becca's kind of like, Becca is clearly going to grow up and think about that weird friend she had as a teenager once, but not often. Um, While she's joining the Avengers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wonder if it's the casting, because I know that Christina Ritchie was originally in line to play Enid. And I wonder if she would have brought something slightly different. That's so strange, because I was thinking, this feels, it feels like a job, because... I found myself more interested in the background characters, mm. way more interested. So the Satanist couple, the <laughs> nunchuck guy, yeah. the old guy on the bench, the trivia wheelchair guy. Oh, and yeah. The, the, and the guy just in the background of the diner with a plaster over his nose and sort of T-zone. Uh-huh. And I was thinking, they're like John Waters characters. Yeah. Just without the charm. This is like a John Waters film without the charm. Mm. And around this time, Christina Ricci, Ricci had Ricci. starred in Pekka, which was mm. the John Waters film he did with Edward Furlong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. So I wonder if she was offered this role, did she pass because it's too similar to mm. what she's already done before? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And it's strange when you look at it and you go, oh, Thora Birch is the lead character, not Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird now looking back. Because Thora Birch has dropped off the face of the earth along with Christina Ricci. Yeah. And now Scarlett Johansson's got her own movie coming out at one point. What year was Lost in Translation? Was that 2002? Two years after... 2003, so two years later. Oh. And two years earlier was American Beauty. Yeah. Eight years earlier was Hocus Pocus. (laughs) <laughs> so the, the little weird, girl from it? Hocus Pocus yeah. grew up. Thora Birch was on a on a roll. You know, she did Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, Hocus Pocus, American Beauty. After this, she did The Hole. And then it's like she stayed in that hole because we haven't seen her since. Mm, the Hole with Keira Scarlett Knightley. Johansson. <laughs> yeah, yes, 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 exactly. There's, but Scarlett Johansson, she became like a worldwide smash. She yeah. did Lost in Translation, Girl with a Pearl Earring, Match Point. The Prestige, Don John, Under the Skin, her, and now she's with the Avengers and she's got her own movie. But she's she looks more like the classical leading woman, whereas Thora Birch doesn't have that. She's she's edgy. She has an edge to her. She doesn't have mm. that really 
mainstream Hollywood appeal. So I'm not surprised that she has somewhat disappeared. I feel I feel like she should be doing TV or something. I think she would be a really great character actress. Um, Do you think this should have been a TV show? Maybe like I was actually thinking that because I love the TV show Broad City, which is about these these two twenty something friends in New York. And they get into ridiculous scrapes. They're both kind of larger than life, ridiculous characters. And they're always getting into stupid situations. And that is hilarious and really, like genuinely really funny and says something about what it's like to be a young sort of directionless individual in a big city. Um, So yeah, to compare Broad City to Ghost World, it's it's like, well, it's just two different worlds. Um, It makes me think of those sort of alternative aimed at adult cartoons that mm. all, the, all the range, all the range, darling, all the range sort of towards the late 90s, early 2000s, things like King of the Hill or Daria. or Yeah, Dr. Daria, Katz. that's exactly what I thought. Because it's got so that really sort of deadpan, misanthropic Dry, humor. cynical, yeah. sarcastic. So this would have, I think this could work as like a 20-minute Amazon Prime animated. Yeah, just a 20-minute animated mm. series. I could see that. By virtue of having characters who are unlikable, that makes it into a bit of a bleak watch. And because the, mm. the tone is so... it just There's no peaks and troughs. It just kind of goes along on the same level for the entire film. It, um, oh, God, it starts at 20 miles per hour and it yeah. just carries on at 20 miles per hour. I can't shows bear us things so that many... do that. It shows us so many sort of superfluous scenes that don't really add anything to the whole in my eyes. Um, I would always prefer to watch like Romeo and Michelle, which is also about kind of high, high school sideliners. But their their response to that is they create their own little world together where they look for the fun in shit situations and they, they find mm. joy in little tiny things like let's fold scarves and you know they they have joy there's a joyfulness to them whereas Enid and Becca are just really fucking miserable yes I did write down in my notes at one point there's no joy here mm, it's so bleak and hopeless so dry how did you unbelievably dry how did you read the ending she got off her ass and she got on that bus I think if you wait along if you know if you feel like you're in a situation where you have no exit, you just have to keep waiting because eventually you're going to find an escape. That bus will come. That that bus guy been sat there for, <laughs> what, two years apparently? There's yeah. no bus route. There's been no bus on this route for two years apparently. Yeah. So if we take that on face value, then all you need to do is wait on that bus bench. Some people have asked the director if that was actually a metaphor for suicide because it's really sen- it's what, essentially... getting on a bus it is nowadays <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well because it's essentially a is a bus that shouldn't exist and doesn't exist a ghost bus but she gets on it so is it a metaphor for her actually what, what are we supposed to say now succeeding at suicide um, <laughs> is that what they say you can't say committing suicide you have to say succeeded at suicide i don't see it as suicide i see it as suddenly they they crammed in the the character arc in the mm. last five minutes they got yeah, on the bus did. with the shittest suitcase you won't fit anything in there so why is she acting out that's the thing is what is driving her because you see that she's got this really insipid dad who is is really mm. well played by 
that guy Bob Balaban so funny he makes a return to the podcast what was he before before. he was the narrator in Moonrise Kingdom oh yeah and we were both like who the fuck is he (laughs) he's so good yeah really funny guy um but yeah he's completely insipid and has no control over her whatsoever like he goes in and says my girlfriend has got a job for you and she says tell her to fuck off and he just kind of like simpers (laughs) out of the room and shuts the door um Mm. yeah so american dad is she just acting out as a teenager for no particular reason i just think she's jealous of other people's lives Mm. and you know she can't find the good in anything she has to complain about everything this is such a shit area Mm. you say that about everything yeah why do you think scarlett johansson's character distances herself well it's like when you have that friend who says or that kind of they were a friend but they're like oh yeah yeah let's get coffee soon or oh yeah let's let's meet up soon or let's do this or let's do that that'd be great and you're like okay great yeah awesome and then like six months go by and they just never show up and it's like oh okay well if you're not going to make any effort then i'm not going to make any effort Um, but also i think the the environment in which in 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 which your friendship exists mm. is important so like whenever i've had like jobs in the past and you're sort of friends with some people at work but you never see them outside of work because the the friendship exists solely within the walls of the shop let's say yeah and you know if 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 there's ever a gap in conversation you can just fall back on talking about shop stuff Mm. but if you go to pret or if you go out drinking there's there's nothing there there's no there's no social basis so is this is this friendship that these two have so rooted in the fact that they are the rejects at school that in the real world they actually don't have a great deal in common. Yeah, I think that's probably is what it is, is they, they didn't fit in anywhere else in high school, so they fitted together. But then as soon as they're outside of that, ScarJo, she knows that she's got to get a job in the coffee house, get herself an apartment. Mm. You know, she's transitioning into adulthood relatively seamlessly, whereas yes. Enid is fighting it every step of the way. But then you kind of... You know, she's talented. She's she's an artist and the stuff that she does looks cool. Um, but she's been kept back to do summer school in that hilarious art class, which with starts Indiana out with that, that film, Mirror, Father, Mirror, was just brilliant. <laughs> it was like being back at university when you have to watch all the shit yeah. films your co-students have made, including your own. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm so embarrassed I've made this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought I was in, um... Spielberg, but I'm not. <laughs> It reminded me of a Billy Joel lyric from Say Goodbye to Hollywood. Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. I'm afraid it's time for goodbye again. Mm. That has always stuck in my mind. Yeah. Because it's true. People sort of drift in your life and then they drift out. And you can't, you can be aware that people are drifting out, but you can't force them back in. And equally, yeah. you know, we, we, we've all had those friendships that last a summer or a year. Mm. And then suddenly it's like, oh, I've got everything i need from this friendship mm. time to move on or you just grow apart with a relationship you you have a breakup with a friendship it just peters out mm. and you don't really have that sit down moment where you go well it's time for us to stop going to the bowling alley you just hope that people <laughs> get the get the get the message when they I don't want to sit in the dark watching a film with you anymore you took the words right out of my mouth like if people message saying oh let's go see them and you go yeah 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 and you don't you think people would get the message? No. <laughs> yeah. 
<gasps> ghosting. It's ghosting world. I do like the, the visualness of the film. It's sort of dull pastels. Everything looks a bit retro and yeah. and what we call analog now mm. even the hospital doesn't look like a hospital from the outside it looks more like a <laughs> i don't know like a like a weird italian restaurant with those sort of, <laughs> um those rain covers that pop out that just says like emergency on it or hospital or something yeah and there's like patterns everywhere it's very mm. um and it, it embraces art and culture and it's very sort of celebratory of that stuff she accidentally <laughs> comes across an actual interesting project even though she didn't actually yes. make it herself um, and it's when she talks art, about yeah, i thought art. that was really interesting and actually a highlight in a film that was so cynical that it was painful but sometimes it also says something about her mm. the fact that you know she is presented in a she is presenting herself in a particular way and yet underneath it's not truthful yeah, that, yeah, that, that's true. She is all about showing off. Like when she wears the Catwoman mask and things like that, she's trying to hide. When she dyes her hair. Actually, no, that's true. Like she's trying to hide the entire film. And the only, the moment that she reveals herself is when she shows Seymour her drawings of him, when she shows how yes. she genuinely feels about him. But that comes right yeah. at the end of the film. You know, and you've had to sit through an entire hour 45 of a really miserable person <laughs> making everybody else's lives miserable. It's quite... Like a podcast with me. <laughs> I know. So spending an hour and a half with you, Rob. Oh. Will you watch it again? Um, Probably not, but I still feel like I'm missing something. I really want to like it because I like the idea of it. I thought you were going to absolutely love this film. I know. I knew, that, I knew that you would think that I would love it. Because but... <laughs> it's more your thing than my thing. Purely because it's got two girls as the protagonists. Yeah, two girls. It's a bit kooky. Yeah, but even for me, it's it's just too bleak and un like unremittingly bleak. You know, if it had been a film about just those two characters, Becca and Enid, I probably would have engaged with it a lot more. But because uh, so much time is spent with Seymour and he is excruciating, it just turned me right off. Why are these films always about two girls or a group of girls? Heather's, Clueless, Mean Girls, Ghost World, mm. Romeo and Michelle. Why are they always the the outsiders? Why are they the, the outcasts from from society? Why is it never two boys? The only one I can think of that has two boys is Weird Science. Yeah, and also American Pie is about boys from their perspective. But they're um, not they're not necessarily outcasts, are they? And it's not bleak, it's not kooky in this way. American yeah. Pie was just like a porkies. It was, you know, that sort of teenage tits and ass kind of gross out. Mm. It wasn't saying it wasn't saying a great deal about sort of the youth of the day. Yeah. But these these films seem to be painting girls as just complete social outcasts so what is it about but what is it about them what is it about the idea that girls are social outcasts why is it never the boys i think that it's they are aimed at teenage girls so they're films about teenage girls aimed at teenage girls lots of other people do enjoy them clearly but mm -hmm. that's a very much a niche um like an audience i think 
that's yes, that's a very good point. Like, I know we, you know, I like Heather's, I like Mean Girls. I haven't really seen many of the the others, but we are obviously of a certain demo. So, do straight mm. guys like Heather's? Do straight guys like yes, Mean Girls? I know. Is it? Yeah, is yeah, it yeah. a? Is I think it a certain kind. Gays like it. No, a certain kind of straight man loves all the stuff that I love. So, like Dawson's Creek and 10 things i hate about you and all that kind of stuff like a certain kind of sensitive straight man loves it i don't think i've ever met anyone any i don't think i've met a straight guy who likes dawson's creek or desperate housewives or anything like that wow okay maybe just not socializing in the right areas or at all yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was ghost world directed by terry zwigoff Joshua, give us a clue as to next episode's film or films. Oh, I'm, f- I'm filled with a slight feeling of not fear, but something similar to that. What could that be? <laughs> Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, so you don't miss that episode. And we're also on Twitter, aren't we, Joshua? We're at Torn Stubbs Pod. Let us know what you thought of Ghost World. Did you, did you like Enid and Becca? Did you think that they were... Daria Light Misanthropes, let us know. And if you're listening, Terry Zwigoff, please tell us how to pronounce your name. We're off to the Brotherhood and Community Art as Dialogue show. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut! <laughs>